0: There's an African proverb that says, if you want to build it fast, build it alone. If you want to build it to last, build it together.
1: All right. We are here on a, another brand new episode of the Business Blind Spots Exposed podcast, BBSC, because Business Blind Spots exposes is way too long. <laughs> so on the BBSC today, uh, we've got a really special guest. I've been excited about this one for many reasons. Uh, I've got Wendy Clark. Wendy, hey, how you doing
0: today? I'm great. How are you, Vinay?
1: I'm doing super. So let me tell everyone who's kind of listening in, here's what the Business Blind Spots podcast is all about. You know, there's what you know, and there's the stuff that you can see in front of you, and there's the things that you have in your periphery. But it's all the stuff that's behind you that you don't know that you don't know. That's the stuff that can come in blindside you, (laughs) literally. So for me personally, for the longest time, I thought it was all about my intelligence. How much I knew is that what made me powerful and great? No, it's how much I know about my blind spots that made me powerful and potent. So people, other people's perspectives become really much more relevant for me in my own uh, journey towards success. The business blind spots podcast is all about exposing what some of those blind spots that others have seen in others as in they've been there and done that themselves, or they've experienced them or they've, they've seen others as they've coached and consulted them, with them through those. So they've seen it, they've been there and done that either from the outside looking in or they've been in the middle of it. I want to tell you why, why I brought Wendy on real quick. So I've got a couple of notes that I've made here and some things about, uh, Wendy's bio that I want to give you a snapshot as to who you are, uh, to everybody so everyone can understand. Now, we have a, people, a couple of people that are listening in. Uh, feel free to tell us where you're connecting from. I would love for you to help shape the conversation and ask Wendy questions. She's got lots of great nuggets of information that she's probably going to be dropping throughout the course of this. So first thing that I saw in all the stats about you and about your background is $100. Wendy started a company with at the age of twenty, with less than a hundred dollars, but that's only like three years ago because you're only twenty-three now, right?
0: Absolutely, I started in preschool, actually. <laughs> yeah.
1: So, twenty-five years later, Carpe Diem Cleaning is still thriving. Thirty-five plus employees, uh, five hundred clients, uh, over a million in revenue—just uh, some good numbers to talk about—and not a bad return on investment starting from a hundred bucks.
0: Not so much. That's
1: <laughs> it's a, it's a, it's a good story. Uh, now, Carpe Diem is a, one of the is the largest locally owned residential cleaning service in the Raleigh Durham Triangle area. Um, I love a, lo- a lot of the philosophy here. Wendy believes in the potential for business to create equitable solutions for issues in the community and raise quality of life for everyone. It's not about just the business of making money and the profit. There's a deeper, what well, you know, word that I love. Why? There's a deeper why to all of this, right? That that's a guiding spirit or guiding light to some of this. Um, in your management of Carpe Diem, as well as your role at Vice President as Vice President at Dwit Facility Services, um, you've got a, close to 100 employees altogether. And that community mindset that kind of pervades throughout all of it, which again, that the guiding principle, that true north, that kind of keeps you uh, moving forward. Couple of words I hear is uh, pioneering truth-seeking sh- uh, strategist. I love that. Again, power-packed words they're saying that really has some really profound meaning unto uh, itself. Wendy, I I you know, I, I hear all this. Tell me a little more about you. Kind of start with that twenty-year-old with a hundred bucks in their pocket. Where were you in terms of your mindset then? And talk to me a little bit about that journey from there to today.
0: Thanks, Vinay, for allowing me to share my story. And it started I'm originally from Buffalo, New York, and for my senior year in high school had the opportunity to live in Sweden for a year. My dad had died when I was 14 and the gift of his death was that you can die with regrets. And that life, um, usually when you're a teenager in your 20s, you think life is forever, but I learned very young that it's not. So lived in Sweden, it really impacted my paradigm on education, on culture, on my faith. And it really gave me the confidence and the models of taking the road less traveled. So I really didn't want to exist. So I didn't commit suicide and I didn't die. So I figured, well, if I'm gonna live, then what do I want to live for? And I think part of the key to helping unlock your your blind spots is to figure out your Northern star, to figure mm-hmm. out where you're going, your your big why, the, the purpose of what you're aiming for, because your house will, invariably change through the years. Um, So my big why was I wanted people to know that God loves them. Out of that, I wanted to help underprivileged youth. Out of that, in my mid-20s, I read an article about the 100 million street children in the world. And the thought that came to me was if, if there are, I can't imagine 100 million street children. And if there are systems that are facilitating that number, then there has to be systemic changes that can impact that number. Um, so that really has been my, more, my North Star. I was, um, I came back from Sweden with Wake Forest University for a year, took a year off to establish residency to go to UNC, and was trying to figure out like what degree would get me closer to this North Star of really having impact. I'm not a social worker. I love people, but I don't like them. Um, I'm much more task oriented. And um, long story short, when I took that year off, the idea came start a business, generate wealth, invest in other things, and have the financial freedom to help others. And so, go ahead.
1: No, no, that's right, please, please, please.
0: So yeah, so I was 19, I didn't have any skill sets. And my sister suggested start cleaning and I hate cleaning. Um, allergic dust and mold, natural slob, natural clots. Um, but I found out that people paid you money to clean their homes. And so that was how I chose Carpe Diem. Um,
1: there's lots to unpack in all of what you just said there. <laughs> <laughs> I was I was kind of furiously jotting down notes of things that I'm hearing. One of the things that I heard there is in, in that was you can die with the regrets. Uh, yes. That, gosh, that's that's a really powerful thing there, right? That's a powerful realization, especially at such a young age. That, yeah, you can di- you can die with the regrets. In and of itself, doesn't say much, but the fact that you realize that, wait, hold on a second, there's a turning point here because you can die with the regrets. I don't want to die with the regrets. I mean, that's what you didn't say, but you did say, right? Absolutely. And what what happened was there was a shift from I you can die with the regrets. I don't want to die with the regrets. What do I want to live for? And I think, uh, you know, I've always talked about this idea of having passion. People should be passionate. Someone kind of challenged me on that. They said passion is great, but when you have commitment, that's when you're taking passion and putting, uh, it's going from potential energy to kinetic energy, right? That commitment is where you're now starting to drive forward and make movements forward. How does that, because I I think there's a blind spot in there that a lot of people think it's all about passion, that I just want to do something, but it's that commitment that you made to changing something, whether it was gigantic, whether it's small, it was the commitment that you made to make make a change. Is that Does that sound right?
0: I would agree with you and add on to it. Okay. The definition of passion is to suffer. Okay. So why do we prioritize our lives by that which we're willing to suffer? Hmm. We should prioritize our lives by that which we want to live for, the, the dreams of our heart. I heard a great definition of desire, which is even different than dreams. Desire is the commitment that we make to ourselves to be uncomfortable until we have it fulfilled. Um, And one of the concepts that I've really been processing, especially in the light of where our culture is at, is Mother Teresa would only go to a pro-peace rally. She would not go to an anti-war rally. Because whatever you focus on, you will get more of. And so, and the way I've been able to summarize this is the absence of evil is not the same as the fullness of goodness.
1: Right. Uh, I mean, another way to say that, and I love my analogies, is a glass half full is not the same as a glass half empty,
0: right? Correct. Correct. And so my life has been truly about, because there's lots of, Strategies. There's lots of um, opportunities to be anti-this, to be anti-that. There are very few resources to be pro, to be pro goodness, to be pro love, to be pro equity, to be pro justice, to be pro um, full of life, to be pro peace. Um,
1: and so. Passion- Please, please. I'm, 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 I'm trying, I'm thinking of what you're saying here and just telling you into words, please, please keep going.
0: Passion is an anti-strategy. And so it is, um, versus a pro strategy, in my opinion.
1: So I like to distill things into take home kind of nuggets, right? So I like to call them the, uh, the business blind spots that I can take away from any one of these Mm -hmm. conversations. So Going back to that analogy, the glass half full versus glass half empty. I mean, I heard a famous quote from a quote from a famous guy, Henry Ford. And he said, if you believe you can or you believe you can't, you're right. Correct. And I think that's exactly what you're saying is you say, if you say you're a glass half full kind of person, you're right. It'll only be ever half full uh, or or half empty. I, either way, whichever you wake, look at it, it's... It, what makes all the difference in the world is the perspective. So I think the takeaway message from just this first maybe insight here is perspective makes all the difference in the world.
0: (laughs) Absolutely, absolutely. To the pure, all things are pure. And we see as though we are. And the most important voice and perspective that we have to work on is the one with ourselves. Because that's the one we listen to the most.
1: You know, I I spend a lot of time, my poor kids, uh, they hear me talking about things like this all the time. And uh, one of the things that I tell them all the time is, look, I can tell you we're going to go to the top of a beautiful mountain. And the idea of getting to that beautiful mountain, what? you know, mountain is a symbol for something, right? But it's a climb of some sort. Now, you can go to the top of that mountain saying, I can't wait to get to the top because it's going to be so beautiful and enjoy the ride. Or you can just say, I don't want to go to the top of that mountain and slog your way through every single step. Guess what? The work is exactly the same. Correct. Okay. But it's the fact that you remember, the whether it's smelling the flowers along the way or the conversation or what you were singing or the... Uh, the Fig Newtons that your mom was feeding you out of her pocket when dad wasn't looking, or vice versa, right? Uh, that's what you remember, or you remember the fact that, oh, I had to put one foot after another. Guess what? It's the same work. <laughs> you might have, might as well say, I smiled the whole way as opposed to a frown. Absolutely. Because if you have an enjoyable journey to, to the top of that mountain, guess what? You've also built uh friendships you've built experiences you've probably learned something along the way which might be leading sort of to the to the second spot here right if your perspective is shifted and you're starting to look at things from a growth point of view guess what new opportunities open along that way am i am i saying that right
0: you are and it's there's an african proverb that says if you want to build it fast build it alone If you want to build it to last, build it together. Hmm. And I was listening to a Tim Ferriss, um, podcast and there was a gentleman on there and he talked about same principle, of that he would, his whole goal was riding his bike as fast as he could and to meet the goal. And one day he decided that, Hey, I'm just going to pause and enjoy the ride and not just have the goal of finishing the bike ride. And he enjoyed it that much more. And it was only two minutes difference. There was only a two minute delta for him to literally stop and smell the roses on his bike ride. <laughs> that's, uh, that's that's funny. Uh,
1: yeah. I mean, it's funny how marked a difference you would expect. Oh, it's going to take you 30 minutes longer. It was two minutes. <laughs> it was two minutes.
0: <laughs> so it really is the mindset that makes all the difference.
1: So look, a lot of people, uh, when they get into business, they start with uh, uh, a desire to uh, approach life a different way, right? They want to release themselves from the rat race that they knew or that they've experienced that they grew up around. I want something better. right? How does this, how do you correlate? I mean, this didn't happen overnight where you started to shift your perspective like this. How does somebody start on that journey of start, or maybe let's even start more basic than that. If you're going to shift your perspective, you're you're going to be doing the same amount of work. So you might as well enjoy it. Let's assume that someone's listening in here, listens to one of these this podcast you know some period of time from now they say all right i'm willing to take that chance but why does that benefit me as a business owner well how would you how would you articulate that to them and why does it make sense that this is not just woo woo fluffy kind of stuff it makes all the difference in the world
0: there was another woman that started her cleaning company at the same time i did and we both had the same technical piece we were both scrubbing toilets and today she's still scrubbing toilets she's still exhausted she's still living relatively paycheck to paycheck um and the reality is we had the same substance that we started with but how we prioritized how we approach the mindset of how we approached the cleaning was very different and so we ended up in two very different places. Um and it's and it is critical. And as you were asking the question, Vinay, like I was really pondering, and one of the key principles is as as I was processing this and just seeing like this blank brick wall of hopelessness as I was starting out is that I wanted to be free. Um, and that was what and I really like the, 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 again, that north star where you're heading, like if you're heading for that glass half full, you if you have the right pro piece and you have the right positive thing that you are heading towards, it will shift and change and impact every decision that you make along the way. And so if I want freedom and I wanted financial freedom, then that filter i processed every decision through that filter even if i didn't process it correctly and sometimes if it's worth doing it's worth doing badly and so i wasn't processing scrubbing toilets and making money i was processing how am i free how am i financially free to have impact um my definition of wealth is to have the resources to be who you're called to be. And you may need hundred dollars to be that. You may need $10,000 to be that. You may need $10 million to be that. It's not about being rich or poor. It's about having the resources to unlock all the potential in here and having the capacity for that potential to flow from.
1: Yeah. I, I think what I'm hearing is, you know, when I, in my company, we've got a set of core values
0: mm-hmm. and
1: we activate and lean into those core values. We ask people to uh, engage in the behavior that those core values ascribe to, right? Correct. Ascribe to those core values. And the way I've always thought of it is the core values are the ultimate measuring stick for the company, right? If you're not lining up with the core values, Maybe you don't understand them or maybe you're just not the right fit. And it's okay if you're not, right? Mm -hmm. I think what you're saying is, look, for the leader of a company, if you don't have your own measuring stick, your own core values. Correct. How can you measure whether you've achieved it or not?
0: (laughs) Absolutely. And it's inherently, if you choose to plant a tomato seed, that will then define the decisions that you make of how much plot do you need of land? What type of fertilizer do you need? What type of water capacity do you need? If you choose to plant a squash seed, it's a different level. And so the, the choice of the seed that we are choosing to plant then defines the, the choices that we make and the consequences that we have there on out.
1: So let's 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 translate that to kind of real everyday kind of what that means, right? Yeah. So if if your measuring stick is to say, and it, this there's not a right or wrong answer, it just simply sure. is your answer, right? And I think that's where a lot of people get scared in making that choice because they're measuring by what others have defined as successful in their definition, right? So if your number is, I want to get to a hundred employees, I want to get to a hundred employees that. Uh, that that love working for my company. Let's just say that that's the, that's, that's the number. If you want to get to 100 employees, well, you are not going to make decisions that are best for a 19-employee organization. You're not going to be making decisions for uh, a 2,800-employee organization. You're going to be making sure that you get to 100 and focusing on those 100 because that is the seed that you planted, and that's the tree that grew or the plant that grew from it. Am I getting that right?
0: Close, yes. And sometimes if you want to get to that 100, you've got to master the 1 and the 25 to get there. Okay. So sometimes I think sometimes, and what I share with people, because I do, I love dreaming and I love having vision. I never want to cut down anyone's vision or dream. I think where we go wrong a lot of times is what size bite we take. So how do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. And where the strategy and the impact and the blind spots really usually come in is in what size bite we take. And so we see this huge elephant. So we're like, okay, I'm gonna go for it. And so you take this huge bite that you can't chew that um just it it, it chokes you, you're full, it really just it 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 it's you don't enjoy eating the elephant, you don't enjoy the journey. And so if you know that you wanna to get to the 100 employees, sometimes you've got it. you have them in the back of your mind and then you have to break that down to what are the steps to get there. Um, and figuring out, because there's and in each business and each organization, there's different capacity to different infrastructures. So you may have an infrastructure that allows you to get to 25 but once you get to that twenty sixth person, you're going to have to make a reinvestment that is a lot more significant um, that allows it. And the example that I use is when I first started Carpe I just used a keychain. Like I just used, you know, a basic keychain and put the keys around, and I knew this key belonged to this house, to that house, to that house. And then once I started getting employees. Um, they couldn't remember which key went where. So then we got them all a little labeled and I had a drawer and they just pull them out of the drawer. And then we had too many clients from that. So then we got a key box and then we outgrew the key box. So then we had to make an investment of creating our own key system where they're identified by letters and numbers. So if they ever get lost, they're not able to figure out which house they go to and that they're routine and they're by cities. And so capacity, I always wanted to get to the hundred or two a bigger organization. And I had to, it's the both and versus the either or. I also had to start where I was at and then get strategic around the capacity needed and the infrastructure and the reinvestment. Yes, I started with less than a hundred dollars, but I've invested a whole lot more in the infrastructure since then. And I have not, I have not skimped on the infrastructure for my company. Um, And that is, as you're looking at your finances, and I think one of the mistakes that we commonly make is we only look at revenue yeah, um, and we don't look at where we need to be reinvesting. Um, And so like, again, with the example of planting a tree there, it, it says, you know, you plant a tree for five years, the last year you give the fruits to charity, and then after the fifth year you can partake of it so like one of the key separations of understanding the fruit and the infrastructure need of your business to grow capacity to get to the dream is there's a difference between your personal capacity and your business capacity so like with a service-based business on the average it usually takes about 11 employees to uh to be working in the business for you to personally make the same as when you were personally doing the work yourself
1: Hmm. So, so 11 employees to get to equivalence is, is kind of what. On I'm the talking.
0: average the, yeah, yeah, the yeah. rule of thumb. Yep. Yeah. So I made more money personally from carpe diem the first two years cause I was cleaning and then because I was 20 young and stupid and pioneering and um, all the reasons it took me another for another 10 years. I personally did not make what I made the first two years personally. Because I was using that extra money to reinvest into the infrastructure of my business. But now I am making a whole lot more than I did those first two years.
1: That's right. That's right. So we talked about, uh, when, in kind of framing this up, we came up with this uh, topic, right? The strategic battle plan, defeat the tyrant called urgent. You spend a lot of time uh, mentoring people, uh, coaching people to a, to a better place where they have seen, uh, where they've gotten stuck, where they have their own, what I'll call self-limiting beliefs, the glass ceilings that prevent them from punching through. Talk to me a little more about that. And what what do you do? How, how do you talk people through it? Because it's not just a matter of, hey, stumble into this. Uh, I think you've taken that and you've tried to codify it a little bit for people to maybe go accelerate along that path as opposed to having to go through the same trials and tribulations you
0: have. Absolutely. So Vinay, when you asked me about this podcast... If I could give you the one thing that has truly made the difference, it's understanding the difference between urgent and important.
1: Okay.
0: And it started in my 20s, and let me back up before that. One of my principles that guides what I choose to do is called um, the, the principle of two truths, and it's about being the both and versus the either or. And the um, Niels Bohr was a famous physicist. He said, the opposite of a fact is a lie, but the opposite of a profound truth is another profound truth. And the easiest way to demonstrate that is if you were married to a Jewish spouse in Germany during World War II and the Gestapo was at your door, do you prioritize honesty or loyalty? If you prioritize honesty, you'll incur the sin of loyalty and betray. If you prioritize loyalty, you'll incur the sin of honesty and lie. And and what you're talking about even earlier on is like, how do we prioritize good things? And that part of breaking through blind spots, part of breaking through ceilings, those internal ceilings has truly been cultivating the skill set of prioritization. Um, Because it is, there is order in prioritization um and it matters and i could talk to you for hours about you know like in business the prioritization of fit versus heart and heart you know that someone wants to do a good job and impact um but are they the right fit in family you have heart i accept my mom a little bit more even though she's not necessarily the right fit for who i am um and so it's understanding the coupling of different truths in when to prioritize what and in my early 20s, I went to a Franklin Covey workshop on time management. And it was, you know, Ben Franklin, does thou love his life, then do not squander time, for that is the stuff that life is made of. And during the Franklin Covey workshop, they introduced us to the the Eisenhower Quadrant, which is, you know, it's the four quadrants of um, that. that to explain where you spend your time and during this workshop they explained that there's two aspects to our time and our time management that which is urgent and that which is important and urgent are the things that we need to do today there is a time sensitivity to it the important things are the dreams the desires the the what we're living life for the the, the the water in that glass that's half full. And they did the quadrant of quadrant one in the top is that which is highly urgent and highly important. And um, that's where in business, it's the work in the business. If houses don't get clean today, you know what? We're, they're not, that. that's a big deal. Um, you break your arm, that's both urgent and important. Um, dealing with fires and emergencies. As the internet went out. Um, and then the next quadrant is quadrant two, which is not urgent, but highly important. And that's the quadrant where I would say it's working on the business. Um, it's doing your QuickBooks, it's exercising, it's spending the quality time with your family, um it's doing ex- inspections it's just this stuff on your business that if you don't get it done today no harm no foul but they do matter um and then the quadrant three is highly urgent and low importance and the example that i use for that is like i had a credit card that got hacked or it was a debit card and um we realized it at eleven forty-five. i called the bank i had a meeting at noon I was on the phone with the bank at 1151. They said it was gonna be at least 15 minutes before I called someone. Again, the tension of two truths. Which one, getting your credit card hacked and getting that dealt with is really, really urgent. But at 12 p.m. noon, was it more important than the meeting where I had five people waiting for me? And so I decided to, um, to prioritize the meeting and call the bank back at 2 p.m. So it felt really urgent, but it wasn't necessarily important in that moment. And then the fourth quadrant is to um, both low urgent and both in low importance. And what I realized as I took this class was that um, the majority of our lives are prioritized by the urgent. And sometimes we have idioms and languages and the idiom is, how are you doing? Oh, I'm fine, but it's the tyranny of the urgent is I realized that I was allowing urgency to to dictate the choices of my life. And what was interesting is in that course, they said quadrant two where it's low urgent but high important, they said that's where your future lies and that's where you spend the least amount of time. And I made that back to our earlier conversation, I made that commitment to myself that I was gonna figure out how to prioritize and how to spend the majority of my life in quadrant two, which is low urgent, high important. And I was going to figure out again that pro piece. I love freedom. I'm not going to be a tyrant to this thing called urgent and get back, get to the end of my life and saying, "Oops, I spent my life for this thing called urgent, and it really didn't give me the reward that I was looking for anyway."
1: I'm gonna, I'm gonna use different words other than urgent. Okay. And important, because I, yeah. I want to try to replay that back to you, kind of what I heard. And, and anyone listening in, I'd love to hear what your what your thoughts are and how you're hearing this. I'm hearing urging is, urgent is stuff I have to do. Yes. And important is stuff I want to do. Right? Mm-hmm. If you keep living from a place of I have to do, well, guess what? Your whole life will be I have to do, because it's someone else who's defining that pegs for you. If you're living from a place of uh, I want to do, guess who's defining the place and the pace, right? It's yourself. So sure, uh, there's a transition that occurs. And I think this fundamentally shapes how you interact with others, how you run your company. If you're constantly living from a place of urgent, well, guess what? You're probably at the center of all problems and all problems will rotate around you. But if you start to empower others to, to do things, then you go get to talk about, hey, so we're 25 so the next two years, I'm focused on getting from 26 to 40. That's where I. That's what I want to do. Somebody else can deal with urgent because that's probably what they want to do. <laughs> yes. Am I saying that right?
0: You are on the money, and the, and it's interesting because I had a friend who's very self employed who started her business, and what she would say to me regularly when she goes, "I don't have a choice but to live in quadrant one. I have to. You have you have the luxury." Of living out of the I want to, out of that quadrant too. And this is where the mindset has to precede the behaviors. This tomato seed of the mindset of I want to has to precede the choices that you make. Yeah. Because if it does not proceed, you will not get the tomato plant. You will continue to get the squash plant that you're frustrated about getting over and over and over again.
1: It's funny. I just had, uh, I went and met with a socially, with a friend of mine who I haven't seen in a year, socially distant coffee, right? We grabbed a coffee and then we walked in the, walked around the parking lot 10 times. Um, And he said, you know, how are things going Vinay? Uh, I kind of told him and I said, things have shifted for me. I, I, I keep telling people the analogy of the Millennium Falcon. When they push those two levers forward, you start seeing the streaking lights. I said, that's where I am right now. I'm I'm making the jump to light speed, which is an exciting time. It's scary because I've never pushed those levers forward (laughs) before, right? But what's happening for me is because I was living in a place before, I got to do this, I got to do this, I got to do this, right, in order to run the company. And then I started to make this shift to where I'm starting to say, well, this is what I want. This is where I want to go. This is how how I want to get there or why I want to get there. I'm letting other people figure out the how and I call it the bluebird the bluebirds, the bluebirds are just landing in my lap, right? I'm not, it's almost as though people are picking them and just dropping them into my, that the universe is just dropping them into my lap. And that, I mean, could you say, yeah, it's just purely coincidence. Yeah, you, you could, but gosh, it's, it's an awfully interesting coincidence. How fast, I mean, I've launched this component of my business. It's been a little over a hundred days and we're reaching light speed already. It's, it's more than coincidence. And I think that's kind of what I'm hearing from you. Right? You shift into that want and all of a sudden you start you get in fifth gear or sixth gear or whatever the analogy is there. Am I am I getting that right?
0: You are. If you get in the right mindset and you prioritize the important, then the things will happen. There's a um, documentary on Hulu called The Biggest Little Farm. Hmm. And it was about this couple that had a dream. She was a chef, he was a a cinematographer for animals. They had a dream of owning a farm that um, she could do her, to get her food for her her recipes and what she wanted to do. And in their journey, they're they're in California, they found this plot of dead land. And most farming is a monocrop farm. And they found this mentor who said, if you are willing to diversify and invest the first seven years of building an ecosystem and getting the dirt right, like they prioritized the dirt, Renee, like that was the dirt, the dirt, the dirt, the dirt, Um, and paused on the fruit, paused on the urgent. And there was heartache and pain because when you're building an ecosystem, the... The the, the 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 getting the relationships of everything correct takes some time because it's not a monocrop farm um, and it was in California with the droughts and then the year the rains came all the monocrop farms all of their dirt were gone theirs they they were able to with the infrastructure that they put in place were able to retain millions upon millions of gallons of water. And it was amazing because, and I'm not going to give the whole thing away, but after the seven years when they began to understand the relationships and the dynamics of the ecosystem and the importance and the diversity and the prioritizing the want of the farm, the wildlife came in and helped, and it has been helping them. In the ease and the productivity and the profitability and the joy and the flourishing that eludes most everyone, came into place. And the truth is, is you're going to pay a price. You know, all of us have this internal thing of I want a pain-free life, but it's fundamentally we also get to choose our pain. And when you're building an ecosystem, when you're building the flywheel, when you're building the dream, when you're building the want to, you're paying the price of pain up front. And it's not as emotionally, it's counterintuitive. It's not It does not have the proper emotional cues or, or, or satisfaction that just building a simple monocrop farm that really isn't getting you to where you wanna go is going to get you.
1: I, I love it. Go, going back to the mountain analogy, right? It, climbing up a mountain is never easy. That's it, right. You can suffer through it uh, and just say, man, this is the worst thing ever. And guess what? You're more than likely going to stop at some point and say, I'm not going up the mountain anymore. But if you look at every single step as the uh, is on a next step towards this North Star that you've defined or this Vista that mm-hmm. you're going to see one day, like, yeah, I know this is hard and I'm sweating and I'm out of breath, but I can't wait to get to the end, right? It drives you to the end. Uh, I, I call them the, the, the dark nights of the soul. There have been many, many dark nights of the soul. But once I started to come up with what my North Star was and I uh, drew, drew it up on a board and I put it in front of myself, I kept saying, yeah, that's fine. But it's actually just it's just something that's been revealed to me that shows me how to get around the, that barrier, now I see it as a barrier to getting towards my North star to that Vista at the top of the mountain, as opposed to maybe I should consider stopping. <laughs> you got the higher plan that you're trying to try.
0: The price of a big dream or a little mm-hmm. dream is the same. It's your lifetime.
1: We had another guest, uh, about a week or two ago. She calls, she called it choose your heart, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, it's, it's out there. You just get to choose what it is. Right. And that's the, that's the opportunity. So, um, look, making this shift is a non-trivial thing. I mean, most people live in the world of urgent, right? Significantly biased towards urgent. Taking the time to stop and change your lifestyle is is a non-trivial thing. Uh, How long does it take for people that you've gone through and coached and and helped work through this? How long does it take them to make that shift? Do
0: you want the marketable answer or do you want the real answer?
1: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, what, what's what's the real answer? I, look, I, I, if, if people want to do this and they want to commit to doing it, then then there's a higher objective you're trying to get to. And the time kind of doesn't matter. It just melts away over time. Right? What, what's Fundament-
0: the real answer? Fundamentally, it's probably five to seven years to really do the work and to make the changes. And it's, it's incremental. Like, you know I mean? Like you're climbing a mountain, it takes a moment to get to the peak. It takes amount of preparation, and so it's not necessarily five or seven years to get the mindset shift, but it is the five and seven years to continue to unlock the can of worms, one step at a time, and saying what does healthy look like. I always say that truth is the most equal opportunity employer that's out there. It's the same for whosoever will. And Tolski said um, in Anna Karina, he said there's one way to be a healthy family, and there's a myriad. Of ways an unlimited number of ways to be unhealthy and one of the things that i've discovered about truth is the reflection of it will look different with each person but its boundaries are the same it looks the same um it doesn't look different and different it looks different in different people because we are different but the attributes of it are the same
1: wow so I I will tell you, I got stuck on just one thing. You said that truth is the most equal opportunity employer out there. I I absolutely love that. You know, as you you know, I I built a company around the fact that uh, creating transparency through numbers, right? Mm -hmm. Data doesn't tell you the narrative. It isn't the narrative. It's just the simply the text in the narrative, right? And if you have it arranged completely wrong, it's useless. But if you know what the story is and you know where to place the words and what paragraphs and what sentences and all that kind of stuff. It becomes a beautiful story and that's all data is it's just the truth it's a text right and if you know where that truth is in your organization yeah it kind of doesn't matter the color of skin how they speak how they look how they smell none of that matters right Mm -hmm. it's really just what is what is the truth for the business and i think that's kind of what i'm hearing here right
0: absolutely and fundamentally what is freedom yeah And for me, for some people, freedom they think is to destroy their boundaries. For me, freedom is to discover my boundaries. Because the little kids, if they know what their boundaries are, they're in pleasant places, they will play in the whole playground. If they don't know what their boundaries are, they will play small. Yeah. And I do believe that God is good. And I believe that he loves us. And I believe that he has good boundaries for us. So discover his boundaries and to live out and to break free of the false boundaries um, that I put around myself. Because I think too many many times we're playing it small. We play it safe.
1: Um, That's that's really funny. I have an eight year old and uh, my, my youngest is eight. And uh, one day I asked him, I was like, so what what do you want to be when you grow up? You know, just sort of the typical, you know, dad kind of question to ask, I guess. Mm -hmm. And he said, I want to be an astronaut. I was like, I smile. I was like, oh, that's nice. And a doctor. And I smiled. And he's, and I said, and a veterinarian. Okay. Uh, And a policeman. Really? And a fireman. And I started going, uh, the, the narrative starts playing in my head. I was like, yeah. All right, little guy. You know you can't do that. Then I started to catch myself. So why would I start to put a boundary on him to say you can't do all of that? Right. Yes. Maybe he's a civic administrator of some sort. When that's what he does, he he runs all those different departments. I don't know if astronauts are part of a civic municipality, but well,
0: they might yeah. be soon.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe so. Right. You, you're you're right. I mean, why why do we put boundaries? Let's, I mean, there are natural boundaries already. Why are we putting the boundaries? Let them run with that heart. Let them run with the want and let them go figure out how, what those boundaries are themselves. I think that's what I'm hearing again from you, right?
0: Yeah. And it's the boundaries are good. I think sometimes our culture doesn't appreciate boundaries and there's a lot of unhealthy boundaries, but you can't, and there's probably a better phrase. You can't throw the baby out with the bathwater, um, and it's the both end. It is the it is the want. It is the art. It is the creativity. It is the chaos, and it is the order and the structure and the organization.
1: So, um, I think one of the things that uh, we uh, got and just kind of asking you some questions was about um, how how did you build this successful business, right? Mm-hmm. And and look other people may have different definitions of successful that doesn't matter it's your definition of success right you built a successful business but you were more of a self-proclaimed artist in the beginning yes how did how did how did that come to be how did being an artist kind of get you to this place and this perspective of things <sighs> You know how asked you get good, certain. I, I asked a good question. If you have to pause
0: for a second there. You, you did. You asked a great question. A great question. And it's. I, I'm sure you've had this experience where people ask you, or you get certain feedbacks regularly. Like they're the feedback that you get may not be that different from people. And one of the feedbacks that I've gone through the years is, people like you never get anything actually done. Hmm. Um. Because I could talk about ideas all day, I love ideas, I'm a artist, I'm a philosopher at heart, I probably would have been better in an academic world where I could just talk all day and teach, like that would make me happy. Um, and I did exceptionally well in chemistry and religion at Wake Forest, um, but those two things weren't going to get me closer to my goals. And fundamentally chemistry is the study of relationships and science. Um, and and this was in preparing, and why I wanted to talk about urgent and important. The one skill set that has truly allowed me to implement in my life and to convert arti- my artist's visionary self, even though I don't have any natural linear lines, is the skill set of goal setting. And that was, you know, when I was 20, I had the goal of what I wanted my life to be counted for. I did and, and and this has been part of my journey and this is part of my passion, my suffering is that I really want to make goal setting accessible to others um, because it's it was fascinating. I do business as a means to an end. I'm not naturally a business owner. Um, if I took a traditional route, I would be in the nonprofit realm wanting to have impact. and the gift of goal setting. It was interesting. I have a warehouse that I have used to help bring, to tangibly help people bring dreams come true, whether it's affordable office space or an affordable event space to access and have opportunity. I love helping people's dreams come true. And so once I got my building, I'm like, great, I've done my infrastructure piece of life. Let me go do the artists, love people part of life. And so I spent about five, eight years, in the nonprofit realm, wanting to serve and support and, and just love people well. Um, and I got burned out. And at the end of getting burned out, and this is where I got introduced to EO, which is how we met. Um, at the end of getting burned out, a friend of mine invited me to EO, and Jack Daly was the learning um, opportunity. And he talked for three hours about goal setting. And Jack is probably what a lot of people hate about just corporate businessmen. I don't care about my neighbor, it's all about me. Um, Just f you, blah, 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 blah. You know, just the, not the heart of life. Um, Yet for three hours, he was teaching and equipping us on goal setting. And I realized in all of my years in the nonprofit realm, I never got to the key conversations that unlocked my own life. Hmm. And it was my turning point of continuing to prioritize business as the key to helping unlock systems of injustice.
1: Interesting. Uh and here's some of what I heard in that. In my life, I, I mean, I, I think you you've taken you've done the culture index survey as well, I believe, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I fall as a daredevil on that. So person who's always pushing, my foot is on the gas. That that's all it's been for my whole life. Uh, and if it's always on the gas, everyone's like, "And I can you can you just talk about the next step?" And I'm like, yeah, here's the next step. But but let me tell you about step number twenty nine. Like, yes. whoa, 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 whoa so, slow down. I was like, what, what do you mean slow down? Why, why can't we get to 29 right now? Yes. <laughs> uh, so mm-hmm. whole life, it was always slow down, slow down, slow down, slow down. Uh, but that wasn't my, I mean, there's lots of different words and terms people use. My, my zone of brilliance is staying in step 29. Right, mm-hmm. That's actually where I'm just leaning to what I'm supposed to be. And I think that's a little bit of what I'm hearing here, right? Uh, for you, that goal setting is that zone of brilliance for you. That's where you. That's where you just operate at a higher level that many others just can't because that's you. Is that yes. Get-
0: yes? And because I live in zone twenty nine with you, I'm a very, very, very <laughs> high A as well. I like to go with no risk of risk. I'm not quite the daredevil. Pretty close though. Um, and I didn't have people that could keep up with my go. Yeah, I had to break down the steps between 1 and 23 right now and goal setting gave me the grace for what I naturally did not have mm-hmm. because I want to get to 29 and you need infrastructure many a times for 29 to happen.
1: Um, Lesson learned there.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and so that is it is the gift it was it is the vehicle that allows me to actually get the steps 1 to 28 in place yeah so that I can truly operate in the 29
1: so I, I haven't been paying too much attention to the time and we, we, I had us eight more minutes I wanted to spend a little more time if you don't mind talking about what you do is uh, consulting because as we start to split this up into little Chunks and as people start to un- understand more about you and what you do for people, I like them to understand a little bit more about what you do as far as a coach for them and h- what journey you take them through and what how they enter and how they how they potentially exit because the exit is on their terms, not yours. Uh, yes. t- talk talk me through that a little bit so others can understand kind of what ch- what what that journey is like.
0: So I am discovering this journey now because I've just it's done that- it inherently, naturally is what I have found has been my most effective way of supporting people is having a key 90 minute conversation. Okay. Because what happens is that in that 90 minute conversation, I can usually figure out what are the pivot points of priorities needed to get from step one to step maybe four. Okay. Um, and what I've also been doing are workshops with um with with mainly women but of that i'm doing strategic goal setting and what and as a woman i've always prioritized the life goal setting versus just the business goal setting because if you can figure out your goals for your life then your business goals become clear and they are able to be more effective whereas if you focus just on the business the life sometimes will hijack what you've already done.
1: Yeah. Gosh, I, I talk about this word empathy a lot, right? And mm-hmm. and how we need as a company we need to lead into empathy. And one of the, it, it just as you're saying that, it it I talk so much about empathy, but it's so outwardly focused. Never talk there's not enough chatter about this idea of inward facing empathy, right? Yes. Understand yourself. If you understand yourself, you know how to give to others, right? call it. I'm sorry,
0: please. I call it the oxygen mask principle. Once I had my kids, not only do you have the generic um, announcement, you know, if the oxygen mask come down on the plane, put yours on first and then put the other one on.
1: Yeah.
0: And once you have kids, they come and look you in the eye and make you commit that commitment that you will put your own oxygen mask on. And it's very counterintuitive, and I, very counterintuitive. And Matthew McConaughey has a word for it in his new book. Um, It's like, yeah, Green Light. And it's the the more that we are our true selves, which seems selfish, the more we are strategic about putting on our own oxygen mask, the more effective we are in actually helping others. And it's so counterintuitive.
1: It, it really is. And in, in going through and helping them, first, I always think in terms of awareness, engagement, and ownership, right? You got to be aware yeah. of it first, so then you can start to fiddle with it and understand how it works. So then you can say, own it and decide what to do with it and how you want to control it. In, in what you do in helping them understand the, the urgent to important bias in their life, they can start to get aware of it, start to engage it and start to say, I want to move from this quadrant to this one. And you know, I'm making all kinds of hand motions yeah. here. But ultimately when you get to ownership is to say, I choose how you want to do that. That's the
0: oxygen mask, right? That's, it is, it is the, if we know the shape of ourselves, if we know what a tomato seed is then, and we have clarity around that, then we can be more effective and strategic in planting that seed for the highest fruit in use. And the work of understanding the shape of who we are, because we're all differently shaped. You know, both of us have a strong A. You're, you have a daredevil piece. Um, I do not. Like, there is, there's a little, there's, there's some other priorities that are the shape of who I am. Yeah. And so, and if we're building community and if life is about relationship, then understanding, and if we're puzzle pieces, if we understand the shape of who we are, and where we concave and we need to augment that in and where we stick out and we need to be able to plug into others, the more effective and higher probability that we'll fit properly in the puzzle called life.
1: How do people uh, join in to work with you? I mean, are they they a certain size, a certain shape? Are they a certain type of personality? Who joins, why do
0: they join? They're truth seekers. They're usually in a transition. They usually have hit an inner ceiling. Um, they're usually at a pivot point in their lives. And I'm willing to do consulting. I'm willing to do training. Um, I'm working on creating some webinars um, to help augment. Um, I'm putting my big girl panties on and pulling this together and I am putting this dream because this this is who I am more than I am a business owner.
1: Well, I I I get it. I mean, I got to tell you, I mean, the the more in uh, in Hinduism, there's a word called seva, S E V A, which is your service, but it's really sa- service to others, right? In 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 my thinking, my, the seva that I do for the world is, look, I came here with a certain set of tools and talents my my responsibility is to understand and learn those tools to the maximum utility that this is there so that I can amplify those tools and those talents to the benefit of others, right? And I get fed along the way because I those tools and talents are mine, and I love them. Yes. <laughs> and, if, and if you look at them any differently, you're doing yourself a disservice, right? Because it was given to you. Nobody else has it. There's 7.7 billion people, and there's nobody exactly like you. Maybe similar, but you're unique, right? Agreed. And if you get to lean into that, man, that's just a fantastic place to live from.
0: I totally.
1: <laughs> well, I got to tell you, uh, for those who did listen in, I-, I hope this was a riveting conversation for you. I think I just still learned of a hell of a lot of things that I didn't know. Uh, as always, I always get a lot out of my conversations with Wendy. Anyway. So thanks for those who listened in. Wendy, thank you for sharing your, your busy schedule, sharing some time with me and all those who get a, will get a chance to listen to you through this podcast.
0: And I thank you for sharing who you are, and I appreciate the opportunity.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. Look forward to seeing you soon, Wendy. You too.